And so you've been doing your YouTube channel for a little over two years, and you've gotten to the point where you're now at over 110,000 subscribers. Do you have an idea of what the essence of your success was? Yeah, well, I would say that it was a combination of balancing persistence and creating from a place of feeling inspired. And oftentimes those two things don't go hand in hand, but I wanted to be proud of the stuff that I was putting out there and I wanted to be engaged and I wanted it to be something that had a, a certain life to it. You're listening to Clayton Olson share how he grew his YouTube audience from zero to over 100,000 subscribers in just over two years time. This is a huge accomplishment and I'm happy to welcome him on the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Clayton is a relationship coach whose mission is to empower individuals and couples from around the world to find harmony and authenticity in their relationships. In addition to growing a sustainable, engaged audience on YouTube, Clayton has built a profitable business selling digital products and coaching services. In this episode, he shares the exact strategies he used to grow his YouTube channel and his approach to using YouTube as a way to drive potential customers to his website. If you've ever wondered how someone can make money through YouTube or convert video subscribers into customers, then this episode is for you. As a special bonus, we've created a companion guide that illustrates exactly how you can start, grow, and monetize a YouTube channel. To download this guide, go to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 115. I hope you enjoy this episode and find value in Clayton's insights. I'm your host, Eric Turnison, and this is episode 115 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, Clayton, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. I am very excited to talk to you today, and I'm going to apologize in advance for being greedy because you have had great success on YouTube, and there's a lot of questions I have, and so I'm going to be unrelenting and trying to mine you for valuable information. So, <laughs> Okay, great. Looking forward to it. To get started, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how did you exactly get started in relationship coaching? So uh, in my 20s, I was involved in the corporate world, had a tech sales job, uh, robbed the soul from me <laughs> and realized that it's, it wasn't something that I wanted to do long term. I'd always been interested in something called neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Uh, got into it when I was around 18. Uh, used it in different points of my life to gain confidence, to do work on myself, transitioned into sales, used it in sales as well, uh, where it was applicable. And it, at some point in my late 20s, I just I wanted to have a deeper, more gritty conversation with people. Uh, I wanted to talk about stuff that I felt like really mattered. And I had met another fellow relationship coach uh, here in Denver, was friends with him for a while, and he offered to take me under his wing, mentor me a bit in terms of selling and uh, working with people. And uh, I would split some commissions with him off of anybody that I uh, was able to help or enroll into a coaching package. So it seemed like a, a good next step. I wanted to be a life coach in general. But the folks that he had on his email list were a bunch of individuals going through breakups uh, that were in a really deep, powerful transition in their life and uh, were looking for someone to walk next to them and maybe point out some things that they couldn't see. So I came on board and just kind of fell into the whole relationship coaching aspect and soon then fell in love with it. Um, after talking with a number of people, I uh, started seeing patterns. I started becoming uh, better at spotting things and asking the right questions to help people come to their own conclusions and um, become more empowered in whatever challenge they were facing. And 
over the last six years, that's what I've been doing now. And what do you think it is about relationship coaching that, that is um, so impactful for you? Mm. Well, I think I've always had a hard time with relationship. I think it's probably the, the, the frontier that I uh, really want to focus on and, and develop into a whole and complete human being. Um, I love business in my 20s. But uh, I, I wanted something that was a little bit closer to my heart. And I feel like relationship is the place where people experience some of the greatest challenges, as well as some of the most incredible growth. And I love being in that conversation. Um, it makes me feel alive. And it, there's something incredibly touching when uh, I'm in conversation with folk and there's something really inspiring happening in their life, whether it's reconnecting with somebody that uh, they've broken up with, or whether it's finding someone they're absolutely head over heels in love with, or just even doing the deeper work necessary to prepare yourself for a relationship. All of that stuff just makes me feel so alive and, and so fulfilled. Uh, because I do feel like when I'm working with people, I'm really working on myself as well. Uh, it's not just that I'm helping them or being some guru, but rather we're in the conversation together and something that's being co-created is something we can both take from and use in our own lives. Yeah. It's a relationship within a relationship, right? You're relating in just the sense that you're coaching somebody. Yeah. That's, that's a really great way of putting it. It's almost like we, we create a formal relationship to talk about relationship and the, <laughs> that formal relationship, it has boundaries and a certain health to it that we get to facilitate and grow. And it's a, it's a pretty beautiful thing. So I feel like I've gotten a hell of a lot better at relationship just by being a coach. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really resonate with what you say about growth really comes from the struggle, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same in business. We have relationships with our businesses and our businesses test us. And the thing is, there's a certain percentage of us that when, as soon as we sit, hit one test, we leave. Mm. And then there's a certain percent of, a, of us that when we hit a test, we take it and we push through it. And that's the time that growth happens. Totally. Yeah. And just to, to underscore something too, I mean, it's really the relationship that you have with yourself. Right. I, I operate under the tenant that the relationship that we have with ourselves is what gets echoed externally into the relationships we have with everything, whether it's business or other people. So if there's some place where we're dishonest with ourselves, if there's some place where we're not taking responsibility or where we're disconnected within ourselves to ourselves, we will experience that as a phenomena that occurs outside of us eventually for us to then work on externally. Um, and oftentimes that internal work goes, uh, hand in hand with the external work. Yeah. Uh, I've certainly experienced that. And, you know, before we get into the YouTube stuff, cause you know, this, this is really intriguing things. You, you mentioned that, um, when we need to address something with ourselves, it shows up in our external world in some way. Mm. What are the ways that we can block ourselves from seeing that? Mm. Uh, and also, you know, what are the ways that when we do perceive that we're being tested, how can we find the courage within ourselves to go into that? Yeah. Well, I'll give a real world example rather than talk about it conceptually. Um, one of the common occurrences that I come across with clients that I work with are folks that are either going through a breakup or perhaps they've been single for a while and they're trying to find love. They're trying to find a significant other, or they're trying to get back together with a significant other or save something from careening off of a metaphorical cliff. And they come to me and they're wanting some type of tactics. Typically many people are, they're looking for some type what do I do? What is it outside of me that I need to start fixing, saying, how do I need to start showing up? 
and it, the the place where they're going to the, the highest leverage point in that is really how are they relating to the uncertainty that is in front of them so the way that they're tricking themselves is they're thinking that if they somehow have the right words or if they finally find the person that they've been looking for or get into the type of relationship externally that they've always wanted that suddenly life will be better and that they won't have any more problems or that they're going to somehow fix this existential problem that they've been grappling with. But oftentimes, if we're not in rapport with being alone, right? If we have a, a hard time being by ourselves and, and being with our own company, we just bring that same level of disconnection into the relationship, even if we have the perfect person in front of us. Or we bring some level of desperation into the relationship and we plug into them and we're looking at the relationship as something that we can get something from rather than the relationship being a platform that we get to bring an offering to. So the, the work in this is to focus in on oneself and slay the dragon of loneliness and uh, any obstacles that are stopping you with finding enjoyment and satisfaction and happiness where you're at right now first and then from that place move forward into perhaps being open to the idea of an external relationship with somebody else rather than thinking that i'm going to find a relationship so i can fill this black hole that's in my heart that i can't do on my own right it reminds me of a of a story i heard recently a friend of mine said that they had a friend who had been in a relationship and they'd been in that relationship for 4 months and everything was great but then the relationship got to a point where there was starting to be silence between the two of them. Mm. And that made one of the parties uncomfortable. And I thought to myself, well, that's the honeymoon phase, right? The honeymoon phase is where we are distracted by the, the lights and the movement of what's happening. Mm -hmm. If it's a good relationship, ultimately it comes back to silence and being with ourselves. So you can never avoid it, <laughs> even in relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. And um, yeah, I'd like the way that you put the honeymoon phase. I mean, it, it, it's almost like we're in some ways just actually interacting with the fulfillment of the fantasy that we once had, right? We're in relationship with the fantasy of something rather than in relationship with what's actually in front of us. And once that honeymoon phase ends, that's when the real relationship kicks in and the real work starts. And this is such a prevalent phenomena. This is such a, a thing that many people deal with. So you were working as a relationship coach in Denver doing one-on-one -on -one stuff. I imagine at some point the YouTube channel started because you wanted to reach more people. I had been toying around and thinking about starting a YouTube channel for about a year, but I was really scared. I was just like, you know, I'm going to get criticized. Perhaps what I might have to come face to face with is that maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, or maybe people in this anonymous environment are just going to rip me to shreds. And so I had to get through a lot of those, that just self-incriminating belief. And finally, I got some encouragement from a few folks, a few friends that were just like, hey man, you should get on camera. It took a couple people saying that before I finally worked up the courage to do it. Right. It wasn't like I just had this confidence, like, oh, I know I'm going to be great on YouTube. I know this is going to work. I had a lot of doubt. And so finally, I was like, okay, let's just start with, let's just commit to one video. 
And I did that and I felt like the message was just transmitted so much more cleanly with the soul of who I am. So I realized that was a medium that I wanted to explore more. It was the seed and I wanted that to grow into something bigger. I also wanted to memorialize and document some of the insights that were coming uh, to the surface as a result of working with people in these really deep places. And it, I, I wanted some place where I could share those ideas, bring in more clients. But also, you know, I, I constantly have this experience, Eric, where I look back at some of these old videos that I've created a year or two ago, and I think, wow, like that, that was interesting. Like, I don't even think that I would have came up with that or, or uh, I don't even know if I would have the idea to create that video now. So it's wonderful to have this stuff documented because I was in a different headspace. There were certain really subtle, uh, perhaps truths or ideas or concepts that came up while I was on coaching calls. So it's almost like a diary in some ways of the journey that I've that I've been on working with people. And it's wonderful to be able to go back and share that and and learn from some of my past videos. And then sometimes I go back and I say, oh, interesting. Yeah, it, it seems like perhaps there's some evolution that's happened. Maybe I don't completely agree with everything I'm saying there, but it was true at that time. So to be able to track the growth of uh, myself as well. Yeah. You're like, you're like a, an artist of a kind, you know, and your sunsets are the particular people you're working with. And each one is so unique. And when you experience it directly, you can then paint it as a video. We see sunsets every day, but can we remember any particular one of them? Mm. Right. So yeah, that's, that's really cool that you can go back and experience them again. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. And so you've been doing your YouTube channel pretty consistently for a little over two years. And you've gotten to the point where you're now at over 110,000 subscribers. And the meat of this conversation is I really want to get from you why you think that this success happened and specifically what tactics you use to get there. And before we get into these specific things, do you have an idea of what the essence of your success was? Yeah. Well, I would say that it was a combination of balancing persistence and creating from a place of feeling inspired. And oftentimes those two things don't go hand in hand. I heard some advice back in the day about you need, you need to be uploading at least one video a week. So I held that as a loose commitment, something that I really wanted to move forward with. And I also had a real dedication to making sure that I was putting out quality content. And I don't necessarily mean quality content in terms of that the video and the sound production was perfect because it was far from perfect. But I wanted to be proud of the stuff that I was putting out there and I wanted to be engaged and I wanted it to be something that uh, had a, a certain life to it. So that was a, another commitment that I made. And I think those two things, balance and balance um, of the creation, creating from being inspired and persistence uh, is the essence of what made this work. Yeah. I mean, I watched some of your recent uh, YouTube videos and one of the first things I noticed because I was looking for it was the fact that you didn't have a lot of production value. You were either holding a what was probably an iPhone or a camera handheld. You just had it on yourself. You didn't have a dedicated microphone, but that's fine. Like, and I've also seen this in a lot of customers of ours who are successful. It's not about how their site looks. And going back to what the point you said earlier, when people come to you as clients, they say, what can I change externally about myself to find the success? And, it, and we see that reflected in business. 
How can I make my site look like other people so that I can be successful at ours? How can I make my YouTube videos look like other people so I can have the same success as them? But what we come to find in seeing that people are successful, and you're an example of this, is it doesn't come down to the specific technology you're using, what you're dressing it up with. It comes down to, are you present? Are you delivering a unique message from yourself and being yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. As you were talking, I was just in my head thinking, it's like, yeah, it comes down to really holding the line on being yourself and, and being fully present. And, or let's just say having a commitment to that. Um, absolutely. So now um, you probably get this question a lot, but if I'm someone who's just getting started with YouTube, what advice do you give? Yeah. Well, first I want to know why you want to get started with YouTube, right? What is it that you're, you're wanting? Are you wanting a, a platform to express thoughts? Are you wanting a platform to entertain people? Are you in it because you want to make money off of the AdSense? Like what is, what is the why behind why you want to start a channel? And I'm guessing the answer to that question tells you immediately whether or not they have the appropriate foundation to be successful. It does. It does because it actually speaks to whether or not they're going to be persistent enough to get through that first nine months to a year of just crickets. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause that's, that's really the journey. You know, YouTube's, it, it, it takes time. It takes time to get picked up by their algorithm and it takes time to also refine and, and carve your message out of something that is more permanent and clear. And if you've got a really good why, if the why is not necessarily just about the money or it's not just about like wanting the attention or wanting to entertain. Um, and in, in my opinion, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of vloggers out there that put up videos because there's a massive entertainment value to them. And also there's something that I'm sure that they're really getting to something that is that feeds their soul about being able to express themselves that way. And I'm imagining that's a big part of the motivation to continue to continue to continue to start seeing the results. Um, but that why is really going to determine uh, whether you're in it for the short term or the long haul. Right. Because uh, it's the same in membership sites. And um, I imagine a lot of other things, like you said, in the beginning, you're just going to get crickets. So if you're, if you're looking for your motivation to be external validation, you're going to lose steam immediately because that external validation doesn't come right away. Yeah. And it not only does it not come, I'll tell you, it can also, YouTube can be one of these ruthless platforms where people can just anonymously drop any comment they want on your stuff. And some of it can be cutting, some of it can be incredibly encouraging, but there's a certain level of detachment around what other people think that is that is necessary to get some of your heart and soul out there. I think it's very different than speaking in front of people because there's not that anonymity and there's that connection. But when you're just putting videos out to a mass of folks that, and you don't really know who they are or what their demographics are, you might have an idea given what perhaps the name of the, the video is. There's some level of separation from some people's opinions of you and, and what you're putting out there that needs to be in place. Might that also be why consistency of what your message is is important? Because then over time, naturally, more of the people who are interested in what you're talking about are going to be around than in the beginning when, you know, it just might be more mixed. Yes. 
Yes, I do think that with every video and the longer that you are creating these videos that have perhaps a, they're like a hologram of like your core message, the more you're going to weed out the people that are not your audience and the more you're going to bring in the people that are. So assuming that when um, you're talking to somebody who's wanting to get into YouTube and they, they answer with the why that, yes, it's something that comes from me. This I have the innate inspiration to push through whatever it takes. I just want to deliver this message. They pass that test. Okay, what's next? I think at that point, you know, and I'm just going to draw from my own journey is really picking something then and making sure that whatever it is that you're going to be talking about, it's something that is really engaging for you. And it's something that you are continually interested in learning about. A relationship is something that I'm consistently reading relationship books. I'm going to seminars, I'm going to workshops, and it's not stagnant. Right, it's not a stagnant body of knowledge. It's something that's continually growing uh, every day, every week, and therefore there's constantly new information coming in that I'm able to digest and then come up with different insights and take little notes of them. So, I would say that not only are we coupling finding the why behind why you want to start the channel, but then also picking something that is uh, that you're in relationship with that is growing that you can continue to come back to and refine and grab new knowledge and always feel inspired and engaged about talking about it. Yeah. And I find that's advice I also give people who want to start websites. You have to have an innate interest in the thing that you want to create courses about or whatever. Otherwise, you just won't have the depth of content to draw on to keep the ball rolling. Yeah, exactly. To keep the ball rolling. It's so easy to quit when you're not seeing the results and you're also not inspired about what you're talking about. Right. But it's like when you've got that, at least it's it's like you're you're sourcing all of the the good feelings from within then because you're enjoying the process. Yeah. And then getting into more of the practical side of things like, okay, so I know what my topic is. I'm going to go start shooting videos. You know, let's take for an assumption. I know how to create a video and shoot myself and edit it and produce it, upload it to YouTube. But once I've done that, is there anything else I should be focusing on or thinking about once I'm actually producing content and getting it online? Got it. Okay. So perhaps we can just back up one second and just talk about the production of the content, because I'll tell you that this has been probably the place where I've had the most amount of growth is in how do I take an idea and then actually get on camera and record it? And what are the obstacles that come along with that? Because maybe some people are going to be able to relate to this, but I I will tell you that what I did not anticipate making YouTube videos was how frustrating it was going to be in the very beginning in terms of just being able to get on camera and think clearly without someone necessarily listening to me, but having to imagine that someone else is on the other side of the camera and be able to structure my thoughts in a way where I'm not rambling, right? But where I'm succinct, clear, uh, there's a beginning, there's a middle and end. One of the biggest obstacles I had, I remember, I think it took me four hours, maybe five hours to create my first video on YouTube. And it was so frustrating because I kept having to go back and stop it and then record again from the beginning. And even the editing felt like an uphill battle. One of the insights that I had was in order to get the video uploaded, I had to change the way that I was thinking about the video. So if I'm in the question of, can I get this done? Am I going to be able to complete this video? It's a hell of a lot harder to get the video done than if I just go ahead and make a really crappy first draft and just get the video done, even if I know I'm not going to upload it. Because if I get the video done, say I record a 15 minute video that's supposed to be seven minutes long, at least now in my mind, I've completed the video. And worst comes to worst, if I wanted to upload, say, a C-level video to YouTube, I could do it. 
But now the question is no longer, am I going to get this video done? The question shifts to, can I make this better? Right? So that was a, a massive maneuver, a mental maneuver that I learned after going through several videos and getting stuck is just get the first draft done and then go back and just make it better and better after that and shoot a couple of different drafts, uh, which allowed things to flow much more easily. The other component too is I did not focus on a perfect lighting and, and perfect sound, but rather just getting the content out there and then allowing the production quality to be something that gradually increases over time if that's something that's important to you. I see so many people get caught up on this production quality. They, they got to get the green screen, the perfect microphone, the DLSR camera that blurs things in the background, uh, possibly even the teleprompter so they can read off of stuff. And what ends up happening is no videos get uploaded because all the attention is on how it's going to look rather than actually on the thing that matters, which is the message. Yeah. And it, it seems like really there's a, a common point. Uh, between both of those statements that you just made in that it's removing obstacles, right? Don't create obstacles for yourself, whether mental or external that keep you from actually producing the content because the practice of production is actually what the product is. And so that's what needs to be refined over time, not, not the wrapping paper that's put around it. Absolutely. So going into your original question about we're getting into a little bit more of the, the tactical side of things of what to do to, to grow a channel. So one of the things that I did in the beginning is I, I looked at other people, other coaches that were out there that were successful in the realm of relationship that had big channels. And I researched their most popular videos. So I'd go to their channel and I click on most popular and would sort the videos by views. And then I would take note of the titles. And I take note of the things that were ranking for them. And then if you do that with maybe five, 10 people, you start to see the patterns of what videos are trending and what videos are the most popular in the relationship niche. And then I would come up with some variation of that title. And then I would sit down and I'd brainstorm content on that. That was unique to me and unique to my message. The thing that I would not do is I wouldn't watch these videos. I wouldn't watch these people's videos to, to get ideas because I found that that would actually end up just intruding and disturbing my own creation process. So I just look at the titles and then I come up with my own content. And I'd say just rather than reinventing the wheel, right? It's like I'm, I'm looking at what's already working and then I create content around that. So that's in the beginning phase of how I even come up with some of the content. So does that mean that YouTube's um, algorithm is heavily based on the actual title of the video? Yeah, I think so. And it's, I think that it's, it's really based on keywords, right? So one of the keywords, for instance, that is really popular is uh, like signs he likes you <laughs> or signs the guy's falling in love or how to save a relationship, right? And I'll do a little bit of keyword research along with the titles to see just how they're ranking, like how much is the search volume. And then those those top keywords, I'll have like a, a notebook of the videos that I need to create content for. Because I, I do think that, I think that there's people searching for it. And if there's people searching for it, YouTube is going to be taking videos that are related to that. And then they're going to be throwing it into the suggested videos field over to the right. And when you say you do keyword research, is there specifically a keyword research tool for YouTube? Or are you talking about Google keyword research? I use something called Keyword Planner that somebody recommended to me. Uh, and I think you can use Google re uh, the Google tool as well. I know other folks in the YouTube realm that do that. But just some type of keyword research tool that allows you to see the, the volume and understand where there's opportunity and where there's not. 
So through this strategy over time, you're getting more and more people to watch your videos because you're using the strategy of targeting people uh, looking for certain keywords. Yes. Now, once you have people watching the videos, what is your ultimate objective for them and how do you make that come about? So the first 30 seconds are incredibly important. So what I typically like to do in the first 30 seconds, and I don't do this in all of my videos, but it's something that I would like to incorporate more and I have in the past with certain videos, is just telling them right off the bat, hook them with the title, tell them what we're, I'm going to talk about, and then pause for a moment and say, hey, if you found this valuable or if, if you find this uh, video valuable, go ahead and like and make sure you subscribe. So giving clear instructions on what I want the viewer to do, which is I want to increase my subscriber base and I want the video to be liked as many times as possible because all of that will help the channel grow and will also continue to add weight into the video being suggested to other people that are searching for videos related to the topic. So that's what I like to do in the first 30 seconds. And I also like to tell them what I'm, what I'm going to talk about right? To try to hook them. And the, the goal here is I want them to watch as much of the video as possible because uh, the engagement time matters, right? If people are watching the video and they're then popping off of it, uh, that does not look good for the, the, the algorithm. What it's communicating to YouTube is, uh, is that I've got content up there that is tricking people. Perhaps the title is not related to the content. Or maybe even somebody's using a service to hire that service to just like their videos. Hey, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And not even watch them. Just jump on there, like the video and then jump off. Exactly. So engagement time is important. And, and to that end, making really long YouTube videos, I, I've been advised to not do that, right? To keep anything between five to seven minutes. I do go over that every now and then, but I try to keep it as succinct as possible because I want them to watch a majority, a majority percentage of the video because that looks good for the algorithm. And I imagine as you grow, there's a little bit more leeway with that because once you've established a certain credibility, I'll likely watch more of it just because of the social proof. Yep. So that job probably gets easier over time. It does. Yeah. And you know, the, the beautiful piece about that as well is, uh, you know, I've got two different types of videos, two different categories. There's probably more, but there's two off the top of my head that I can think of. And some of them are the ones where I'm trying to, I'm, I'm really giving uh, the audience, what the, the market is wanting in terms of keyword searches, right? So videos that are related to top keywords that people are searching for in the relationship niche. And then the other set of videos are the stuff that I want to talk about, right? So one of them is casting the net. And then the other one is because I'm wanting to attract clients that are willing to invest in themselves and are willing to do the inner work. Sometimes those keywords don't necessarily match to, to that want. So I'll create other content that is lower search terms, but more related to the to transformation and the stuff that I that I really love to talk about that I don't try to jam into a keyword. Those two different categories, I I, I vacillate between both of them when creating content. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that and that's a similar strategy that's used in just uh, content creation for blog. Um, are there any other tactical tips that you could share about uh, growing the channel? Yeah. So getting into the nitty gritty, another thing that I do is I take the keyword and I do my best to make sure that the keyword is actually in the title of the video. Now, not just in the title of the video, but I actually name the file, the keyword as well. So before it's even uploaded, I actually name the MP4 and I have the keyword in that. I've heard that makes a difference. So I'm trying to have as much working for me as possible, right? So I upload the file that's named the keyword. And then when it's on YouTube, 
I'll use a little bit of say some some copywriting skills and I'll add different adjectives and I'll sensationalize the headline a little bit. Uh, what I've found is that the videos that do the best on my channel are the ones that have a number in them. So the three ways that men test women or the five things a man needs to feel in order to fully commit. Those tend to do really well. I think that people want these bite-sized chunks. I think that it's uh, it seems digestible and people are more likely to give you their time. You can just look at like Cosmo magazine and different publications and the headlines that grab readers' attention right off the bat and why they use them. And I, I try to incorporate some of that into the videos that I'm casting a wide net on. Now, I also make sure that I'm including the keywords in the description as well. And one of the elements that allow the, you have the video to have the best chance of ranking too is to make sure that you're using all of the description as much as possible. I'm, I'm not sure how many characters, but fill the description out with a summary of the video as much as possible and also put some of the keywords in the description and then putting the keywords and variations of the keywords in the tags uh, on the back end is really important too. Cool. And now let's talk about monetization. So what are the ways that you monetize your channel? So I've got AdSense turned on for all of my videos. So that's one way that I monetize the channel is that for everybody that's watching, there's a certain small percentage of money that I'll make off of the ads. But the way that I stay in business is at the end of all of my videos, I have a call to action that does one of two things. It either invites them to a webinar that I've got that dives deeper into this body of knowledge that I'm sharing and is a 60 minute to 90 minute presentation, or I'm giving them uh, some type of giveaway. Like the eight secrets to create a rock solid relationship is a PDF that I created. And it's got eight guidelines that I've seen come up in my work that are just critical to make a relationship work. And I put those on a PDF. And if people give me their email address right off of one of the videos, then they get this delivered to their inbox and then they're on my email list. Now, when you say an email address right off of one of those videos, where are they actually giving you that email address? So in the description or and some type of overlay on one of the videos, I'll have an external link that goes to lead pages or some form that allows me to capture their email address. So they will leave the YouTube environment and I'll have something saying, you'll know, enter your email to receive the eight secrets to create a rock solid relationship. You'll, you'll be receiving it in your inbox momentarily. They'll put in their name or their email and then they'll be on my email list. Okay. And then once you're on your email list, you have you have products and services that you sell. I do. Yeah. I have follow-up sequences in place to build a relationship with them, to give them more free content, to direct them to content that I think they might find valuable. And then I give them the opportunity to get on the phone with me or to purchase a product that I have that I think might help them. That's brilliant. I mean, you pretty much... <laughs> I mean, you've got the exact list of things that need to be done. I mean, granted, let's talk about realism for a second. Yeah. You have this amazing thing set up right now, but it doesn't happen overnight. No. And it doesn't need to happen overnight. So what were some of the milestones that you hit? Like, you know, how long did it take till you got even 1,000 subscribers? Months. Right. Months. It, it took me, I think, almost a year to hit 1,000. Okay, so you got you got to a thousand after a year, and then where were you after two years in terms of subscribers? I think that I was around uh, over fifty thousand after two years. 
something something happened there where it went like a tr- there was like a trickle of subscribers like it would just like little raindrops and then suddenly like a, like there was just a cloud burst and the the storm broke and, a, and it just started pouring subscribers and you know I remember getting anywhere from two two hundred to three hundred subscribers a day consistently even when I wasn't uploading videos just and more and more were being found um, and that didn't happen until I was about a year and then you implemented your offline strategies which which happened when for you and when you say my offline strategy. The whole thing where you do the CTA at the end of the video, pushing them to an email list. When I was working with my last business partner and mentor, I realized that I just didn't have my own my own list. And I was really relying on that. I knew how to coach, or at least I thought I did. And I knew that if I wanted to be independent and sustainable, I needed to have some way of getting leads in the door. So I was doing the CTAs right in the beginning. Because I, I knew that that was required. Was I getting any emails at that point? No, not really. <laughs> uh, the CTAs were there though. The, the calls to actions were, were in place because I, I knew that you know, I, I came from doing affiliate marketing and coaching and understanding the value that the business is in the list. And that I needed to, be, that, that YouTube is one asset. It's great, but I need to be in people's inboxes. And so right from the get-go, my, my goal was to say, I'm building a YouTube channel so I can build my list. And to remove obstacles for people who may be intimidated by technology and lists and all this, from your experience, what do you find is the, would be the easiest way for people to get something set up? Yeah. I, I mean, lead pages is great. I've been using lead pages. I know there's a number of different services that are out there that are like that. And it, I, I use lead pages just to create a quick simple web page with an email capture and then a picture of the ebook. And the the picture of the ebook I got from fiverr.com, right? And I had somebody design it, sent me back a, a three-dimensional copy of it, popped that on the web page. I hooked up lead pages to um, Active Campaign email service, which was very simple to do. You can even hire somebody on Fiverr to do that for you if you get stuck. It's very simple. And that was it. I didn't even need a. I didn't even need a, a website at that point. It was just about getting the emails and then being able to c- have communications with them. And then as I'm building the email list, sending any new videos that I'm creating out to those people as well to get views on them immediately. I see. That's a good strategy. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think what you've outlined this video, it's all there. This is the blueprint. Um, but going back to what we we said the essence of your success was yeah persistence and inspiration these are the tactics these are the techniques but the thing is if it was only just about tactics and techniques there'd be a lot more people who were being successful but the thing is if people are listening to this and they have the persistence they have something to share they have the inspiration and i think it's also extremely valuable to hear from people who are successful like you to say look like I didn't know I was going to be successful in the beginning. I didn't have the confidence. You don't even need that. You don't need to be good at it in the beginning. Just do it. Yeah. Really appreciate you sharing all of this with us. And tell us where we can find you on on YouTube or elsewhere um, if we'd like to hear more about what you do. Yeah. On YouTube, it's just type in Clayton Olson, Clayton Olson Coaching. That's the name of the channel and I'll pop up immediately. And you can also just go to my website, ClaytonOlsonCoaching.com. And if it's relationship advice you need, you can opt in, you can shoot me a a message. Uh, Or if you just want to check out what I'm doing, take a look at the website and feel free to drop me a line too if you got any questions. 
So again, Clayton, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this information with us. It was super helpful. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate your questions. And that wraps up this episode of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. I'd like to extend my sincere thanks to Clayton for coming on the show and sharing the lessons he's learned on his journey. And thank you for listening. I hope you found the tips and strategies Clayton shared helpful and inspirational. Clayton made a lot of different points and recommendations, and it's all pure gold. To that end, we've created a special guide on how to start, grow, and monetize a YouTube channel, which includes everything he's shared. To download this guide, head on over to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 115. There you'll also find the complete show notes for today's episode, including the transcript, recommended resources, and more information on Clayton. For more interviews with successful entrepreneurs who share their strategies for success, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We've got a really special episode coming up for you next time. In it, we're joined by content marketing experts, Andrew and Pete. They're a memorable duo from across the pond who seriously know their stuff when it comes to creating engaging content in today's world. They also run their own membership site and share their insights with us on that front. You won't want to miss this episode, so stay tuned. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.